Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to After Work Drinks, your weekly dose of news, pop culture and Pinot Noir, brought to you by magazine editors and best friends, Isabel Truman and Grace O'Neill. Hello all. Hello. So I want to start off, jump straight into things, with you please repeating your story that you told me on Saturday night. Okay, so an emerging theme is that I have an aversion to sort of sport and physical activity with very good reason. Some of you may remember the basketball story from episode <laughs> the infamous something, the infamous case. Um, and another sort of horrible encounter I had with activities as a child was that, so we went out to dinner on Saturday night and friends of ours had been ice skating in Soho House or something very wholesome and wintry in London. And I mentioned that I had never gone ice skating because the one time that I tried to go, I think I was 11, I let <laughs> laced up into the boots and walked down into the... So just you're just outside in the little area putting on your boots. It's like a bowling alley. Mm-hmm. Like you go and you put the shoes and on. And then you walk. The shoes are, in my defense, very difficult to walk in. It's a like a, essentially a high-top sneaker with a giant fucking blade <laughs> attached. And I was walking into the rink and I fell down the stairs and broke my arm. <laughs> yeah. And my, I just confirmed that she's not on any ice at this point. She's walking on just normal surfaces. On normal stairs. And then trips and falls down a set of stairs Into and lands the ice. on the ice. <laughs> I, th- I, I somehow don't think that's how it – like I fell into the rink. But well, in my head I, I was like spread out, spread out on the ice and there was like kids skating around me and I was screaming. But that's not really how it happened. I was very stoic. I just got up really embarrassed and then was like, take me to the hospital. Yeah, Grace has broken a lot of bones. So I think this is why we don't – do any 
activities anymore. I love how we, <laughs> you've pulled yourself into this. Because I'm scared now that you've broken bones. I yeah, I broke a lot of bones as a kid. I broke uh, an arm in a sort of rugby pile-up when I was eight or something and a wrist jumping off a sofa. <laughs> I, I told you I broke my toe because my, bo- my boyfriend when I was 10 was squirting me with a water gun. And I... <laughs> Your boyfriend when you were 10? Yeah. Okay. I was very promiscuous oh, back in the day. Bloody hell, 10. Uh, and I biked into a brick wall. So he squirted you on the bike? He, I was on the bike, biking yeah. away, squirted me into my eye, <laughs> and I couldn't see, and I biked straight into a brick wall and broke my toe and fell oh off the bike. Oh, my God. That will do it. And ran home screaming. <laughs> Hobbled home. Yeah. But we are going to do activities this weekend. Yes, yeah, so we're going rock climbing, which... I'm I feel so like rock, I, I must say, I feel like rock climbing is having a bit of a moment. It is. It's there in vogue. That, it's in vogue. Loewe just did a big campaign with that kind of hot guy from mm. The Crown who played Prince Charles on That's a rock climbing wall. From. Yes. I just watched a movie with him on Netflix on the weekend. Oh. The most random British movie that went nowhere, and he's in it. And I, yeah. and I just couldn't figure out where I knew his face from, but I knew it so well. Exactly. And he's in the new adaptation of Emma, which is coming out soon. Mm. So I think he's going to be a big deal. Josh O'Connor? There's so say. many sex scenes in this random British really? film I watched. Yeah, his butt, pretty much his penis. <laughs> <laughs> the pretty whole much. shebang. The whole shebang. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> we had such a good reception to our episode last week. Thank you so much. I think we had hundreds of shares on Instagram. Thousands, in we fact. had hundreds of thousands <laughs> of shares. We had so many people share and talk about it. We had so much amazing feedback from people. It was a really uh, exciting thing for us because it's an episode that we really put a lot of time and effort and thought into and are very passionate about. So, I think what I love the most is people messaging and saying that it was the first time they've kind of really understood what's going on. And I mean... To be honest, it's the first time I really understood in terms of facts and figures mm. and really sitting down and doing a lot of research and talking to the climate change expert that we spoke to and getting those answers. And it just felt nice that people would message us and say, thank you so much. I felt embarrassed not knowing and now I know what's going on and I feel like I can hold a conversation about it and I know what I can do. Mm. So it was just it was just nice. And then I wrote a little article on Grazia afterwards. So if anyone wants to kind of have something to reference back to without having to re-listen to our lovely voices. Yeah. Um, we'll put it in the show notes. Very good article. Everyone should read it. Shameless plug for myself. And so sort of since our episode, there's been a few updates. Um, the fires are obviously still burning. Yesterday, Melbourne had the worst quality of air in the world and it's actually while the Australian Open is on. So there were tennis players collapsing on the court. Oh, my God. Not being able to breathe, yeah. So there's a lot of backlash about them continuing to have the games. Yeah. Um, And there's been the marches all over the country in Sydney. Organisers said that there were around fifty to 60,000 people who marched in Sydney alone, which is hectic. And Scott Morrison has said he's going to do an internal investigation into the government's response. So he's investigating how he responded, essentially, to the yeah, bushfires. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting read. Like, <laughs> we did a great job. Yeah. Well, thanks. Well done. Um, but that he's not going to make big changes because of climate change. Yeah, so I, from what I read, it sounded like he's going to look at the ways in which 
the Australian government, like Australia can change their response to bushfires so they don't spread as quickly or so that they can be better contained, but he's not going to investigate the ways climate change contributed and how Australia can lessen their fossil fuels. So it's like putting a Band-Aid on a... Yeah, just saying the next time climate change fucks the whole country, we'll respond faster instead of stopping it from happening. And Malcolm Turnbull, uh, who was Scott Morrison's predecessor and his friend at some point, um, wrote a pretty scathing piece in The Guardian as well, where he detailed the ways in which Australia could switch to 100% renewable energy without it losing lots of jobs and dramatically affecting the economy. So I think that... Because that's Scott Morrison's whole thing, right? Saying that the coal industry is... 50,000 people would lose their jobs if they switched. Yeah. So if you want kind of very specific details about the ways in which Australia could transition to renewable energy without that happening, Malcolm Turnbull has written a great piece on it. And it's possible. And it is definitely possible because this is a Liberal Prime Minister (laughs) saying (laughs) saying this. Yeah. And then we have on the other side of the ditch, Jacinda Ardern announcing that all children in New Zealand schools will now be educated about climate change because she found so many young people wanted to know what was going on and what they could do to help so she's going to play our podcast episode to all children in schools exactly it's on the syllabus in all new zealand schools from now on it reminds me of in big little lies when laura dern's character goes skits because her daughter has a panic attack about climate change yes do you remember yeah she's like five and she's like why are you teaching them this yeah oh yeah and then um reese with a spin's daughter says she's not going to uni because there's no point because the world's ending yeah big little lies eh on the topic of the world ending um, I watched, I'd never seen Leonardo DiCaprio's, um, I don't know why I laugh every time I speak him, <laughs> but I just do, his Netflix documentary with National Geographic called Before the Flood. Um, and he, in it, he spent three years traveling to all corners of the world to see the effects of climate change and speaking to leaders in all different countries about what they're doing to combat climate change. It's pretty funny because the whole thing, he's with all these scientists. And I know he's a smart guy, obviously, and very passionate about climate change. Mm. But he just says the funniest things. He was like, this looks like Mordor. And the scientist just goes, what? And he's like, this looks like Mordor. And then the scientist just didn't respond. And it was just silence. And they like, kept that in. Why could you not cut that? Yeah, cut that And scene. then every time a scientist says something, so they're in the Antarctic and they're looking out over the ice and the scientist says, oh, you know, in 10 years this won't really exist. And then instead of saying anything, Leo just kind of frowns and looks out into the distance. Mm. <laughs> it's like, this is not the Titanic. I know. Um, You're not acting in this documentary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But what I found really interesting was that China has been, for years, one of the biggest contributors to CO2 emissions, but they are changing so rapidly to solar power and windmills, and they're making probably the biggest changes out of most of the worst, because obviously bigger changes than Australia Mm. um, and bigger changes than the US. And it was kind of obvious that if China can do that and take measures in such an overpopulated country which relies so much on power, mm. then everyone else can. Well, this is the thing because China's obviously often used as a scapegoat for a lot of the world's environmental woes. But I remember telling you when I was in Shanghai for work a few months ago that the hotel was had banned single-use plastic. Or, or the city of Shanghai, I think, had banned mm. it in hospitality. I, I don't know specifically, but if you wanted a toothbrush or a shaving kit, you had to cool down and get them to bring it up individually. They didn't have all this single plastic, uh, single-use plastic wrapped stuff in the hotel room. So they're definitely more progressive, I think, mm. in certain areas. 
Yeah. So while you were in a climate change Leo black hole, <laughs> climate Leo, change Leo black hole. hole, I was getting acquainted, reacquainted with the work of Elizabeth Wurzel. So she uh, is a writer who died this week at age 52, very prematurely from breast cancer. And it's kind of one of those names that I'd fleetingly heard. And I think I'd read a few pieces here and there, but I really just totally dove into her work this week. She is a writer and an essayist. She was a pop culture critic for The New Yorker and New York Magazine. She's been published in Elle and Rolling Stone and a whole bunch of magazines. Um, But she's best known for her book Prozac Nation, which was a kind of memoir in the 90s about her battle with depression and how getting medicated changed her life. And it's really kind of credited with changing the way a whole generation talked about mental illness. Right. I haven't been able to find it. It's re- I, it's I don't know if I'm gaslighting myself, but it's really famous. I feel like everyone like everyone's heard of Prozac Nation. I haven't heard of it. Yeah, every bookshop I go into, people are like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> Reading a lot of Elizabeth Wurtzel's work, it, it's really obvious that she's laid the groundwork for this whole generation of writers that we're obsessed with now. Like Kat Marnell is basically mm. a not a wannabe because she's great, but like it's her trying to recreate Elizabeth Wurzel and even Lena Dunham to a certain extent and Caroline Calloway definitely. I almost want to put in sound bites of them next to each other because the way she talks really is exactly the same. The whole I feel like she's trying to be her. It's Elizabeth Holmes trying to be Steve Jobs. Yeah, Caroline it's Calloway literally be, yeah. it's literally they look the same, they act the same, the kind of erratic behavior thing is the same. Hmm. She's super cool and she wrote some really great essays on ageing and beauty and um, she never had children. I think she got married a bit later in her life but talking about how she's usually happy with that decision but sometimes she has regrets but it's okay to have regrets. Oh, because she I think I've that, read yeah. that piece. It's amazing. Yeah. There's one in New York magazine called um, My My One Night Stand of a Life or something and it's um, it's one of the best essays I've ever written I ever written <laughs> ever read <laughs> you fucking wish i wish i'd fucking written uh well sure we'll put it in the yeah i'll, I'll, I'll just whack a bunch in the show notes and just read away and she also sorry to keep going on about her but she made all this money off prozac nation and then at 42 or something she decided that she'd always wanted to be a lawyer it's like legally blonde she always wanted to be a lawyer and spent all of her money that she made from prozac nation going to yale like she just got into Yale when people were oh like, they're not smart enough. And then she worked for David Boys, who's probably the most famous lawyer in the world. That was her first job out of Yale. She's just, so a, she's so cool. She's the best. That's kind of like even Michelle Obama when you read her book and how she just casually went from a family with next to no money to getting into Harvard mm. and then got this incredible job. And then she was Barack Obama's boss. That's how she met him. So wild. And he just loved her. She was like, get my coffee. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. Um, I love all these impressive women. Same. so inspired. One podcast that I listened to this week off the back of your recommendation on your Instagram stories, actually, Mm. is Boys and Sex, which is a Fresh Air episode with um, an author called Peggy Orenstein, who first wrote a book about teenage girls and sex, and then... She's gone back and she's interviewed a bunch of teenage boys about their um, experiences with sex and porn and women and feminism growing up. And it is so interesting. It's one of the most interesting podcast episodes I've listened to in ages. Yeah. So she said that on one hand, boys saw girls as equals in terms of 
leadership and um, friendships at school and in class. Um, but when she asked them to give examples of the perfect guy, she said it sounded like something just straight from the 1950s where they said that they um, things like sexual conquest, dominance, aggression, wealth, athleticism, they were all things that made a man the, the best kind of man they could be. Mm. She said that a lot of them, basically all of them, talked a lot about how they have to suppress their feelings and how they've learned how to build a wall. She said that that phrase was used a lot. Um, inside them to block out feelings, training themselves not to cry or mm. show emotion still in these teenage boys in 2020 or 2019 and how hard and humili- humiliating it is for them to cry, which I found just so sad. It is sad. I think as well, we've touched on this before, but women over the last 20, 30 years have had increasingly interesting role models who are accomplished and intelligent and interesting and creative and powerful and who can cry and be emotional but can also be assertive and kill it in work or whatnot. Men's role models haven't really changed over the past Mm. 400 years. There's no modern male role models that show vulnerability, that show respect to women the only example i can think of is obama he's yeah. a great one but there's there's not and this flock of, of men i'm thinking of harry styles but that would be men who but that's just you all the time that's yeah and that's kind of women you know women are obsessed with harry styles it's not men looking to harry styles for how to behave but i was listening to yeah. i was watching an interview with harry styles on um youtube obviously recently when i discovered him and in it he talks a lot about how him and his friends are really vulnerable and they have really in-depth conversations about emotions and feelings and I was so shocked and mm. happy to hear that but really surprised. I think a, the, a really interesting thing in the Fresh Air episode was how she said that something that the boys and the girls said almost equally was in quote-unquote hookup culture, that the boys don't actually enjoy it. They, they find it weird and awkward to hook up quote unquote with someone they don't know very well who they have no emotional relationship with who they have really bad communication with who they've just met at a party five minutes ago Mm. but they don't know how to say that or they're because they don't talk to each other they're all feeling that way but none of them know that the other person that they're friends with feels that way they think they're completely alone and isolated and so you have this culture now where young women are having one night stands with guys and wish they weren't and the young men are having the one night stands and wishing that they weren't as well. And just no one is explaining to each other that this isn't enjoyable for anyone. Yeah. She said the core issue with girls were that they felt like they were being cut off from their bodies. And the core issue for guys was that they felt they were being cut off from their hearts, mm-hmm. which is exactly what you just said. And an- yeah, another thing she said, which I found really interesting, is that a lot of these boys were saying that they learned their behaviours or to cut off their emotions from their dads. And they're not saying that their dads are these abusive, angry, horrible men, but that their dads, instead of talking about their emotions or instead of, you know, they've just never seen their dad cry. They've Mm. never seen their dad actually break down and say that they feel sad or that they feel upset or that they had a hard day at work or these things that you would see your mums do all the time. Mm. And instead of kind of speaking about their emotions, they'll see their dad sort of just be like, all right, and walk away instead of, you know, I feel like that happens all the time with dads. Totally. Like so they, the mum will sort of say, I feel upset about this, and the dad kind of sighs and walks away. And that's how you see, 
your parents. Totally. And there's this assumption, I think, that boys are, like, screamed at, like, don't cry, don't be a girl. Like, that's very probably rare yeah. in terms of actually happening in real life. The reality is, is they're just never shown someone who does do that in a positive way. And that has probably just as, if not more, of an effect than being told, even don't the, be a girl. Even the wing, for example, <laughs> is such a – because it's a women's only workspace mm. where we work every day – which I think we sh- I feel like we should do a little tour on our Instagram stories because people lost their minds over seeing the beauty room yesterday. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah it's, it's amazing. <laughs> We've already taken for granted how amazing it is. I know. I just forget. Day. But yes- yesterday I got up, went to the fitness room, worked out for an hour, walked down the hallway into the beauty room, had a shower, used all their serums, There's like got all beauty products work. and serums there. It's yeah. like girl Chanel, mecca. Um, body creams and everything, and then put on my serums and then just walked upstairs, had a free coffee and got to work. Mm. But I feel like we should put something a little tour or something on our mm. Instagram. Um, but even there yesterday, we were working and it was 6 p.m. and I just felt super overwhelmed. And I had that kind of feeling, you know that feeling where you feel just, I don't know if everyone feels like this or if it's me, if it's an anxious thing, but where you feel kind of overwhelmed and everything feels too much and it was just yeah. building up, even though I was just trying to work and get my work done. And then I just, Grace just looked at me and I just burst into tears and she came over and gave me a hug. And then we sat there for five minutes just debriefing about why I felt stressed and then just got back to work. And then when a woman was leaving, she was like, I messaged my sister and told her she had to join here because it's just, you just burst into tears, have a little hug with your girlfriend and then get back to work. Straight back to work, <laughs> yeah. And it's like a room full of people, but every, yeah. no one stares at you or makes you feel weird or anything. Mm. We've seen lots of examples of that there. But I feel like it's that amazing. would never, men wouldn't see that. No, like, that, yeah, mean. exactly. That's the thing. And it's uh, that, there's probably just this myth that women are more emotional than men are men don't feel they're not a different species like they still want love and support and compassion <laughs> yeah. and for people to understand them and to feel like they have connections with people they're just stunted I feel that we are so lucky in that way yeah women. women are just highly emotionally intelligent because it's like our currency but also the way we speak to each other and how open we are mm. I feel as though you kind of don't realize that until you sit back and and think about things and say if I was feeling upset I would go to you I would go to my friend Hannah I would go to my best friend Ash back home I would talk to a bunch of different people Mm. and then whereas I feel a guy wouldn't even really speak about it to anyone no definitely not I did I I tweeted years ago when I was like (laughs) trying to be on Twitter yeah yeah I was like um I said something like my theory is that men know so much about sports and politics that they have something to talk about that isn't their feelings. Yeah. (laughs) But literally because they are so well-versed in these very specific niche topics, like when you see them talking, they can talk for hours and hours and hours and hours about very specific random things and have statistics and stuff. And it's just so they have something to talk about that isn't what's going on in their own lives. Mm, So crazy. It's sad. Another thing she talks about in depth is porn. I know, I loved hearing like 65-year-old Fresh Air host Terry Gross say porn about 49 times in that episode. And she said things like bang and smash her and hammer. And she was like, let's talk about porn again. And I was like, <laughs> yes, Terry, let's. Um, which really, really surprised me because I guess I'm an 80-year-old woman in my heart, but I had no <laughs> idea that the porn out there, it's wild. It's wild. It, it actually scares me when I think about it. So in both cases, girls and boys, girls watch far more hardcore porn than their mums do or had, and boys watch 
far more harder corn than their dads. Boys were three times more likely to be exposed to things that involved rape or coercion, and the same with girls. Um, the age girls started watching porn really matters. So women who were in their twenties who started when who started watching porn when they were younger, as opposed to older, how many times are we going to say porn? Um, were much. <laughs> we need like a ding, ding, ding yeah. tally. Yeah, I know. And there's going to be children in cars being like, "Mom, what's porn?" I yeah, don't know. I know. I should be. This is an after work podcast. I was going to say no one is surprised <laughs> that we're getting kids. into the yeah. fields of pornography. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, women who started watching it when they were younger, so before they had sexual experiences, were far more likely to be submissive and to accept extreme acts of aggression that porn depicts. But women who, and same with boys. So if you start watching it before you've actually had sex, or you think that yeah, you're what more you see likely to push for things that are not normal, probably in most sexual relationships, yeah. and definitely not in teenage sexual relationships. Yeah. It is really scary, I think, because pornography I just hate the word porn it's so disgusting I don't like the word corn either so I think it's just <laughs> that like <laughs> they're, they're, they're both bad words they're just horrible words I hate saying it <laughs> if I say pornography I sound like a bloody <laughs> university lecturer but I think the problem with it is it's so ubiquitous when you see the numbers Do you remember that Jonathan is it Jonathan Ronson uh, I think it is. He did a, a podcast series on Audible. Don't sign up for Audible. Just find it somewhere else somehow. <laughs> this is how I ended up in Audible. You'll be hooked in for, for a five-year contract. Um, <laughs> it was called The Butterfly Effect, and it was a series about how internet porn blew up into being the phenomenon that it is today. Um, and it's a fascinating listen because it's so ubiquitous. The numbers that these websites pull every day is astonishing and very scary and it's this those numbers alone show you that this is a huge part of the majority of the population's media consumption and yet no one's really talks about it it's not really ever discussed in my experience in interesting in-depth articles I know Rashida Jones did that amazing documentary but there's very rarely public discourse about the impact that it's having especially on young men but but we know that it's so hugely consumed by them it's got to affect how they treat women it just has to yeah especially I had no idea that boys were watching teenage boys were watching porn with coercion and rape but it must just be presented to them as all being the same thing is Mm, what worries me I don't think teenage boys are searching for coercion or rape I think they're it just pops up that's just what they're getting when they watch it because that's the nature of a lot of the content Mm. and so they think that that's what sex looks like on a lighter note (laughs) (laughs) uh the Oscar nominations came out yesterday yes they were incredibly white and male for a change that's why I just said on a lighter note it was a pun Oh, God, that's straight over my head. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, unsurprisingly, there were no women nominated in the Best Director category, despite a bunch of women-led films being nominated for Best Picture. So Little Woman was nominated for Best Picture, but the director, the person who created it, wasn't nominated for Best Director, mm. which is wild. Um, so that's Greta Gerwig. Uh, Lulu Wang for The Farewell wasn't nominated, Marielle Heller for A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood and Lorraine Scaffera wasn't nominated for Hustlers. You know, you see these statistics that say in the 92-year history only five women have been nominated, which seems crazy. And then when you think about the fact that there's at least five people nominated in a category per year, 92 years, that means it's at least 455 men and five women. 
And then as well as that, on top of women not being nominated, 19 of the 20 acting nominees were white. The most since the Oscars So White hashtag went viral in 2015 and 2016. Most notably, Jennifer Lopez was snubbed for Hustlers, Lupita for Us, and Aquafina for The Farewell, which is crazy because she was nominated. She won the Golden Globe. I think as well we've talked about the fact that a criticism leveled at Hollywood a lot of the time is that there simply aren't the performances that are worthy of nomination because Hollywood is racist so these films don't get made. But this year you have several concrete examples of things. And the thing that I don't understand, and this is such a cynical reaction to have to it, is like wouldn't the Oscars do it for the sake of their own publicity. This has happened year after year for the last five or six years. And it's a terrible thing to say because these people should have been nominated anyway on the merit of their work. But why would you dig your heels in when you know you're going to get a huge amount of backlash and when every other institution that has done the same thing has been smacked down for it as well? Like the BAFTAs was a week ago and that has been absolutely eviscerated and Mm. they're having an internal investigation into how the nomination system works because there are basically no people of colour nominated whatsoever. Why isn't the Oscars doing it to at least save their own skin? Well, it reminds me of Victoria's Secret. Yeah. (laughs) They just kept digging their heels in and then it got cancelled. Yeah. And Oscars, the viewership or whatever, numbers are dropping every single year. So do you not want to mix it up? And also, as we talked about previously, I don't know, probably last time we had this discussion, what films are nominated for Oscars and what films win Oscars matters hugely because it causes a ripple effect, which then means if women-led films are being nominated and winning, that gives women more space to work in those areas. Exactly. It's also in terms of little women, I mean, I just struggle to think of a more perfectly suited Oscar movie than like adaptation of a classic novel. It's set in America during the Civil War. It's a period piece. It has amazing large-scale production. It has amazing amazing large-scale costumes. It has a giant ensemble cast with like seven Oscar winners in it. I just, there is nothing that could be more Oscar bait than Little Women. So the so but, the fact that she's not nominated, is just But bizarre. what we talked about is no men were going to see Little Women. Vanity yeah. Fair did that report and mm. it was all women in the theatre and the people who choose the Oscar nominees are men. Yeah. So it was already just screwed. Yes. One thing I will say, actually, that I'm quite hopeful about, I think this is probably quite naive, but Parasite, which has been nominated for a bunch of Oscars, it's a Korean horror film that I saw a couple of months ago. It is the best movie I've seen this year by far. I would be just thrilled if they wiped the floor, which is very possible. Mm. I mean, it's not very possible. It's possible. But they, uh, the Joker will take home everything. Do you think? Mm. I really watched Joker. I liked Joker. Joker got heaps of shit as we discussed, but I, I actually did really like it as a movie, but I never thought it would sweep the Oscars. I didn't think it was that kind of thing. Like I thought Joaquin, our favourite man. Yeah, he's the best. He's amazing. He should definitely win. Yeah. But it's not like a best picture movie, I don't I also love so much how much of an activist he is. And I think he was a huge part in the Golden Globes um, having an all-vegan menu and he's wearing the exact same suit to every single awards ceremony. He is just a legend. Such a legend, as is his amazing fiance Rooney Mara. It was so cute in his Golden Globe speech because she's like a vegan activist as well. But he, that's kind of irrelevant, but he was just like Rooney and just like put his hands in a praying symbol Aww. and then said nothing else. <laughs> I was like, ah. Oh. And Rooney Mara is amazing. She has a... 
uh, vegan clothing line that she started because she couldn't find a bunch of things like combat boots and dresses that were made with sustainable non-animal products. It's called Hire Eth. <laughs> Not a very catchy name, I must no. say. <laughs> H-I-R-A-E-T-H. Um, but yeah, that's amazing. They're like a power couple. Love them. Love Fave them. couple of the year. Yeah. And Florence Pugh got nominated for her first Oscar and she is just the girl at the moment. She is having a real moment in the sun. Zach Braff was stoked he locked that in early. It's the most random celebrity relationship She's literally in history. 24 and she had a breakout role last year or whatever in that horror movie Midsummer. Greta Gerwig delayed the filming of Little Women just so she could get her on the cast. She has Meryl Streep. Laura Dern, Emma Watson, Timothy Chalamet, Saoirse Ronan and waits for Florence Pugh who just had a breakout role and then she got nominated for an Oscar. Yes, and in um, uh, Emma Watson shared Greta Gerwig's thank you statement to the Academy on Instagram because Greta Gerwig doesn't have Instagram. And even in that, when she's talking, she's like the amazing Saoirse and the beautiful, smart Emma. And she's like my absolute dream girl from the <laughs> from heaven, Florence. Like She oh just God. loves her so much. Yeah, everyone loves Florence. But it's so funny because, yeah, in terms of just her relationship, which obviously isn't the biggest talking point here, but I just find it hilarious that she just goes out with a guy from Scrubs who when she met him, he would have been so much – would have been so much more famous than her, and now she's an Oscar nominee. In a 20-year age gap, it's fairly sizable. Like, I'm not passing judgment, but it's, you know, surprising. Mm. Yeah, so she's on the cover of Vogue this month. I can see why there's so much hype about her. I feel like she was the best part of Little Women. She was so good. And also, when she starred in Little Drummer Girl, which is a TV adaption of Johnny Carr's book, he loved her performance so much that in his next novel, he named a character Florence. That's amazing. She's, everyone is just obsessed. She's from England. Is she? Yeah. She's from Oxford. I thought she was American. Nah. Interesting. And she's a legend. I sent Izzy yesterday when she got her Oscar nomination. She just put up an Instagram story of her making a martini at home and drinking it in celebration. So, so it's her, like shaking the shaker. She's the best. Going on to the kind of darker side of Hollywood, unfortunately. Um, so Harvey Weinstein's trial starts this week. Um, in New York City. So he is being tried in New York, but he has recently had charges laid against him in Los Angeles as well. So he's probably going to have to do at least two separate court cases. Which um, is great. Which is great. But the, the interesting slash depressing thing uh, about this court case is the fact that while he has upwards of 80 separate women who have accused him of sexual misconduct ranging from sexual harassment to rape, uh, there are only two women who will be participating in this trial. So getting your head around that is kind of hard mm. because it doesn't seem to make any sense. But The Daily did a fantastic two-part series with Jody and Megan, the journalists who broke the story, about why that is. So you should definitely listen to that to get more detail. But basically the issue is just that the legal system is set up so it's really, really, really difficult for women to sue men for these kinds of crimes. The statute of limitations... In Australia, it can be as little as six months after sexual harassment. What? Yeah, it's crazy. Um, I've been listening to Wild. this podcast called The Witch Hunt by The Guardian Australia by two The Guardian journalists, and their first episode was with Tracy Spicer, who's been a massive advocate for this in Australia. Um, but the kind of way the legal system is set up seems to be the recurring issue with why we really struggle to get people mm. in jail. In Australia? Just everywhere, like in yeah. Australia and in, in the US, the fact that this case is hinging on two people is wild. And also just how 
especially when it's someone, I think that the most thing I find really frustrating about it is the power dynamic still exists so massively Mm. when it comes to the law and court cases. So how much money he has, Mm. how he has the best lawyers. So all of these women not only have to, A, go on the record and have their entire histories pulled apart. These lawyers will talk to anyone they've ever slept with that they can find, anyone they've ever dated, any colleague they've ever worked with. They'll go through every single thing they've ever done to try and pull up dirt on them. Mm. So they not only have that, but then they also have to front the money for the legal costs. Mm -hmm. And whereas someone like Weinstein doesn't have to worry about any of that side of things because he's got lawyers who will be burying anything Mm -hmm. that they can. He has money to pay to get the biggest, best people to scare these women into silence. Yeah, so so many women uh, have been frightened to come out and that's why so few have agreed to take him to trial. And another element is like the things that can cause charges to be dropped are so flaky. For example, a woman called Lucia Evans was one of the first women who said that she would go on the record and take Harvey to court because she was one of the few victims whose assault happened during the right time window in terms of it not being outdated by the statute of limitations. And it's in the New York area. Even she had her case dropped because she had told one person despite telling uh, allegedly told. She allegedly she told, actually, yeah. She said that this didn't even happen, but had allegedly told one person after she told multiple people the side of uh, the story that she was telling in court. Apparently had told one person that the sexual assault with Harvey was a consensual sexual mm-hmm. event. Yeah. Um, and, and for that, the police dropped all charges. And it's just so hard to, because we understand how women process this kind of trauma you might want to believe that it was consensual straight mm. after it happened because you don't understand. She was meant to be in her early 20s. She was a uni student. Maybe she did go to a friend and be like, oh, this happened. Because you just want to talk about it and get it out, but you don't want to, yeah. Yeah, or you might well, not you even, even realise yeah. until five years later yeah. how messed up that situation was and how actually you never wanted to give consent and he was really aggressive and violent and he was, like, lording a, your entire career over you and therefore it wasn't. But that you telling one single person... Mm. Or, or not and telling the them, but if she dropped. did, having the whole case dropped, it's just insane. It just shows how the legal system doesn't understand how people process trauma. Yeah. Because if you talk about six-month statute of limitations in Australia on sexual harassment, most people wouldn't realise that they'd been sexually harassed until they finished that job. Mm-hmm. You, when and you're in the midst back. of it, you don't yeah. understand. Like, you just think that you have a bad boss or that this is the way it works or that you're being difficult and mm. it might take a year to look back and say, no, that wasn't okay. And by then you can't do anything. I know I've mentioned this a couple of times, but that's what I love the most about the three-woman book is Mm. the girl's story who was groomed by her teacher Mm -hmm. and her coming to that realisation and the reader going through that whole story from when she thinks it's consensual and her talking about being in love to her growing up and realising how crazy and how fucked up it was. And I think that that's the best way I've read it being explained. A hundred percent. Anyway... Shall we get on to yes. Megan and Harry? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. 
Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit UH1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. So, of course, the biggest news in the UK and, of course, worldwide was that of Megxit this week. So, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry's bombshell news, which was announced on Instagram of all places, (laughs) to step back as senior members of the royal family. So, it's been about a week now since they... Feels like it's been about four years. I know. So much (laughs) has happened. So much has happened since then. But they arrived back from their six-week break where they were spending time in Canada on Vancouver Island. We all should have realised what was going on because... Both their dogs were there, so they'd already, <laughs> they'd already moved. The signs of what the writing was on the wall. How they'd did we moved not see it? The whole family to Canada already, and then they took the six-week break, which we have now found out that during that time they were holed up in this mansion planning their escape, scrambling together a website, and scrambling together a website, <laughs> drafting using, an Instagram caption, using the TIG, uh, the people who created Megan's now defunct lifestyle blog, The Tick. My f- favourite part of the story. The f- yeah, the best part of the, the story. The Tick Yes. <laughs> the return of big the return. And announcing their plans to uh, become financially independent, which I think was the huge thing that everyone in the UK at least kind of leached onto mm. because basically the royals are funded by taxpayer money. So everyone wanted to make sure that they wouldn't have to pay a dime for Meghan and Harry to go and live in Canada, which I think is like... Sense of resentment in your delivery of that line. What? <laughs> You're just like, they just don't want to front up the money to I pay know. for them. But I'm saying, they in their Instagram, they said that they want to become financially independent. What more do you guys want? They're literally saying they don't want the money. Yeah. They're not going to take them, like as if they would just keep taking people's money to go and live in Canada. I just don't think that was ever the plan. Yeah. And everyone freaked out. Anyway, so then... And also that, yeah, they want to split their time between North America, they said, which the Queen later confirmed to be Canada. The Queen then released a statement kind of very short, sharp and pissed off. Very terse. Yeah. The statement. Yeah. Uh, you can just see one of those char- like peripheral characters from the crown. Yes. Those like bitchy older men. Yeah. Who walk around writing it out and being like, you should say this. Yeah. It was, was probably like, oh my God, what is Instagram? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was very short and to the point and saying that the conversations were in the early stages, which kind of contradicted everything Megan and Harry had said. And then they had a Sandringham summit, which would have been, I would have paid, I would have given up a kidney to Same. have been able to be in that castle. Yeah. During that time. Me and Izzy both felt like a tinge of anxiety for Harry that day when mm-hmm. we woke up. We were like, God, he's on his it's way the there. Big day. What's he gonna wear? He would have had no sleep last night. Megan's back in Canada. She's not there to comfort him. Like I know, which I kind of love. She just was like, Oh, deal with your family. This is I know. A bit, much. A bit ballsy. Yeah. I mean, I would do that with my in laws, but my in law's not the queen. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Uh and then they had the the summit and then the Queen has said she's all G for this to happen. Yes. Which I'm I'm obviously very happy for them and I think that it was 
obviously an important thing for them to do because it all seemed kind of very messy the way that they announced it. It was like a, yeah, a bit of a red hot sequence of events for the royals who are usually quite meticulous. So that kind of makes me think that it was a much needed thing to happen immediately. Either yes. for their mental health or whatever I, so, it Some was. people have been asking me because I think they think of me and you as kind of royal obsessives, which is probably true. I love Harry. Um, <laughs> the two Harrys who stole your heart. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I need to marry um, someone called Harry. The, the people are like, why are they leaving? I feel like uh, people still don't really understand and, you know, we'll never really know, but it, to be debrief on it firstly Megan was a very outspoken UN ambassador with a passion for feminism and women's rights before she married Harry so she she's probably not the kind of person who's content to go to the occasional I think she probably thought that she was going to be able to do a lot more than she do a has lot more been. than she has so I think that's been a single element but the, the the other element it seems is just the fact that the press absolutely eviscerated her she had like a one-year grace period and then the th- some of the things it that they started did were no horrendous. it started the minute they were rumored to it started literally the minute they were rumored to be dating and that's why harry had to release this crazy statement confirming that's that they were right, dating and yeah. asking the press to leave her alone because i think we don't we didn't see it so much in australia but even today i pulled up the sun to see what the front page was and it was like seven stories tearing me into shreds and obviously you can kind of expect that at the moment because the whole British public think that she's this witch that's tricked Prince Harry into leaving his family when obviously he's been saying this for years that he doesn't want to support an institution which basically killed his mother. Yeah, and, and, and I think we were talking about the way that gender plays a role in this story because I think some people could argue this has nothing to do with sexism, but the way that they have framed Megan specifically in the aftermath of this story is such a demonstration of how sexist the mainstream media can be because it is they they have framed it as her manipulating Harry mm-hmm. into doing this thing when firstly no person has the ability to manipulate another person of that scale into doing something and secondly it's always this idea that women use their like wily womanly ways to trick kind unassuming men yeah. into doing things they don't want to do which is so ridiculous given all of the evidence we have that Harry has not been a mainstream player in the way that the royal family works. As if he doesn't want to live in Kenda and be able to go for hikes with his wife and his dog and his baby all the time without hiding away in this palace and doing the odd appearance for random things. Like, they're not allowed to do any work aside from the royal stuff. And I think the main thing that both of them want to do is help the world. Yes. And they just can't. And another big thing that we didn't realise when we were reading the FAQs on their very meticulously (laughs) uh, long-captioned website um, was that the royals have a system, which I I don't think people knew about before. Harry's kind of revealing the inner workings of the monarchy. They so intense with everything they revealed. They literally had like a pie chart of how the finances work and everything. Yeah, so apparently the royals, there's a, a system where they give things like the portraits of Kate and the kids and... The royal portraits and announcements is given to a kind of handful of the press corps from seven different newspapers, and that includes a couple of tabloids that Harry and Meghan are actively suing. The Daily Mail, yeah. Yeah, so so what they were basically arguing is they want to share with, like, their fans and the public pictures of Archie and pictures of them doing happy family stuff, but they're actually 
banned from doing it unless they give it to a newspaper who's going to make money off their yeah, personal so life when they're suing them yeah. for sharing a Private pleading letter. letter that she wrote to her father. Like Exactly. That's a messed up system. You can see why someone would want to leave that. Yeah, why would you want to give a publication that you that ruined your life? Yeah, pictures of your, your newborn child, child, so, child they so they can make money off of it. It's just I, I totally understand it. There's been some fantastic kind of micro stories that have emerged from this. Yeah, my favourite being Jessica Mulroney. Je- yeah, Je- Jessica Mulroney just, I she, can't deal with her. Yeah, and even Megan's friends as a whole, they're just, are just not subtle at all. Like Daniel Martin putting up the smashed Avo on toast and saying, going to visit M.M. He'll be like en route to M's house or something <laughs> in like the fucking countryside of England. Everyone's like, we know where you're going. Just, just say Megan. Yeah. And Jessica Mulroney putting up these quotes, these quotes about... They're like the kind of quote a middle-aged mum would have on her fridge. Yes. She's like, a woman takes on a challenge with a wink of the eye or something. It's so <laughs> embarrassing and awkward. And in the limelight, our favourite podcast did an emergency special episode. So Josh and Julie, who were from Vanity Fair, they had the In the Limelight podcast, which was all about the royals. And since one of them left Vanity Fair, they had to stop it. And so they just popped up this random thing that isn't, it's, I think it's called like Josh and Julie 04 or something yeah, on SoundCloud. It's on SoundCloud. It's like really messy. Like, yeah, but it's so good it's and funny. So, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, that touched on the Oprah element, which was completely Oprah random. Oprah put out a statement. Oprah was Tr- like, I was not a part of this. And everyone was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Trump was backing the Queen. The Queen doesn't want to be your friend, Donald. Samantha and Thomas Markle put out statements. Of course. I'm eye-rolling if you can't hear that. Madame Tussauds removed Harry and Meghan's wax figures, like, the very second they announced this Instagram. Wasn't there a kind of well-placed photo of their, like, wax bodies being carried out or something? Or am I just imagining that? I think someone um, made it up. Ah. Because they're still, they're in another part, but they removed them from the royal family bit. Which just seems wild. It's just like an embarrassing cash grab from a completely defunct tourist destination. Wax figures. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing, which is, I think, actually is my favourite part of this whole entire sorry escapade, is the terrible, terrible video of Harry, like, spruiking Megan's voiceover skills oh to the CEO God. of Disney, which I just wish I'd never seen. Unnecessary. Just so weird. Just a weird piece of footage. So Izzy texted me that Megan had signed a voiceover deal with Disney, which was super random. Yeah, it goes of all to the charity. things, like yeah, but just I don't know why I'm really struggling to get my head around this because <laughs> I'm just, uh, what does that entail? Is she going to play some sort of cartoon animal in an upcoming movie? You're like a giraffe, a, like a parrot? I don't know. That's fine, I guess. It's a very random announcement to be made in the midst of all of this. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. would you not just say, "Let's hold off on that for <laughs> six months, <laughs> yeah. three months, one week"? Maybe she'll be like BB-8 the robot in the new Star Wars or something. I don't know. It's, yeah, random. But it's funny because the footage has been out there for the public to see this whole time. But everyone was distracted. I need to know which kind of intern or person. Who found this. Because, yeah, the footage has been there. But obviously no one would have been listening. And now someone's listened back. Well, yeah, yeah. As soon as the Disney thing came up, someone would have said that's who Harry was talking to. While Megan was talking to Beyonce. So everyone was focused on this. And then when you look to Megan's side there's Harry pointing his thumb at her 
spooking her to the Disney CEO. It's so embarrassing. It's so, it's just weird. Like meeting someone on the red carpet, I just feel is not the time mm. to be trying to get your wife a voiceover gig. In front of all the cameras. In front of all these cameras. There must have been something else to small talk about in that three minute period. <laughs> the yeah, CEO of I'll Disney looks kind of a bit confused. He's like, okay. Yeah. I mean, in his head, he'd be like, well, obviously, yes. But obviously, he'd just be we're like, just send it. me an email. Yeah. Like, send me a text. Do a private correspondence. It's just so unusual. Cool. That's us for the week because I have to run off to therapy. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe. We would really appreciate that. And share on your Instagram stories. You can follow us after Work Drinks Podcast, Gris O'Neill. <laughs> Without That's the A. Grace without the A. And Isabel Truman. And then we also have a closed Facebook group, After It Drinks Podcast. See you next week. Bye. Bye. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.